Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let me ask for the Lord's help. Father, we bless you. We thank you. And I pray that you would help me. Help me for the sake of the glory of Christ and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Peter 3. 1 through 10. I want to read it and then, by God's grace, unpack it. 2 Peter 3, 1 1 through 10. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact, but the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works will on it will be disclosed. Forgive me, my reading is from the the CSB. My exegesis will be based on the ESV. I just wanted to let you all know that. If you know anything about Arnold Schwarzenegger, perhaps you know him in relation to either seven, four, two, or three. Seven, four, two, or three. Seven, times Mr. Olympia, four times Mr. Universe, two-time governor of California, or three words, I'll be back. I'll be back. Most people, if you didn't know any of the others, you know that last one, I'll be back. It's one of the most recognized catchphrases from a movie of all time, I'll be back. In the movie that it debuted in, Terminator 1, it was the most terrifying and chilling three words. I know it's four, somebody's like, it's actually four, it's a contraction, I'll. (laughs) But for the sake of this, it's three. It was the most terrifying word because it meant I'll be back to terminate you. In Terminator 2, those words reappeared. 
This time, those words meant something to our surprise, totally different. I'll be back to save you. The first time, I'll be back to terminate you. The second time, I'll be back to save you. Long before Schwarzenegger, the Lord Jesus said something basically similar. I'll be back. And those words still ring. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. For some, those are terrifying words. For others, those are the most comforting words. I'll be back. Peter is going to say, Jesus is coming back. Believe it. This is his promise. Trust it. Look at God's pattern. Don't waste it. It's only delayed because of God's patience. Let's unpack this. Believe it. This is a promise. Jesus is coming back. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. That's how we start. As you know, if you were here last time, uh, Dr. Lawless spent time telling us what Peter was saying about the false teachers in chapter 2. They're hellish and they're hellbound. They're arrogant. They're animals. <laughs> they're smugglers, Dr. Shaddix told us. <laughs> they're smuggling in bad doctrine. Uh, they're good for nothing. They're springs without water. They're seductive. They're immoral. They're dogs who love their vomit. That's what Peter has been saying. And now he pivots as though he recognizes, I need to change my tone because I'm going to change my focus and my direction. I want to talk to the beloved. He went from the false to the beloved. The CSB has dear friends, but I agree with most of the scholars who say that doesn't seem to, to, to be strong enough. The beloved, those who are in Christ, beloved by God and beloved by the apostle Peter. He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you. There's a lot of discrepancy because in theology, there's a discrepancy on everything. <laughs> And so some say, which is, what letter is this? Some say it's 1 Peter, of course. Some say, well, it's Jude because 1 Peter and Jude are so much alike. It seems that Peter used Jude as one of his sources. Others say it's a lost letter. Some say it's half, the first half of 2 Peter makes a separate letter. It really doesn't matter in terms of what we're doing here. It probably is 1 Peter where he does make it clear some of the same themes, and this is why he writes, to remind them. I want to stir up your pure mind by way of reminder, he says. The reason why I'm writing is just to remind you and to stir up and to arouse and to stimulate your commitment to scriptural thinking, biblical thinking. He says, I want to remind you to remember what was spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The prophets, the apostles. This has become shorthand for our scriptures. The holy prophets who spoke of old, Hebrews 1 and 1, God used to speak to us through the prophets. And the New Testament, God speaks to us through the apostles. Early in chapter 1, he said that. He said, we have the word of the holy prophets made more sure, so we now were the eyewitness apostles. This is his way of saying, I want to stir you up to remind you, think biblically. Think like God thinks. 
because there's somebody who wishes to undo what you know. I will admit I'm the worst at technology in a lot of ways. I buy these $1,000 iPhones and I use them for $100 worth of services. After texting, the feature I use the most are the reminders. I remind myself, don't burn your bacon. I remind myself, put your drink in the freezer, but get it before it goes, gets too frozen. <laughs> I remind myself, a student wants to meet me in Ledford. I remind myself, you forgot last time when you didn't set a reminder that you forgot the student who was meeting you in Ledford. He says, we need reminders. And I want to remind you about what God has said both in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, and the command of our Lord Jesus Christ seems to be, in other words, if you put these together, I want you to be reminded to live out this central command. Be holy as God is holy. Live in light of his truth. Live in light of his word. Live in light of God's ways and live in light of God's warnings because now he's about to tell them that the scriptures is the one that warns us, not just informs us. 1 Peter 1.13, which is that letter that he very well could be talking about, he says, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is his way of basically saying, I want you to live in light of the end. I want you to live now holy in light of the return of Christ. So 2 Peter 3.1 starts up, I want to stir you up. I want you to be committed to the scriptures because there's somebody called scoffers and their commitment is strong. The commitment of the scoffers makes me want to tell you be committed to the scriptures. Verse 3, know this first of all, above all else, Supremely, principally, right now, I want you to know scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. The scoffers, the scoffers. <laughs> what are scoffers? Scoffers are the mockers. The scriptures warns us, beware of what, we call, what they call, in the scriptures it's called the scoffers. I, we don't use that term much. I don't hear anybody saying, oh, so you scoffing? Are you scoffing? Meet me in the back. I heard you scoffing. But Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is the man that doesn't hang around scoffers, sit in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, the scoffers, they're committed to making you distrust the scriptures. But blessed is the person who delights in the scriptures. You see it in Psalm 1. The scoffers, they disbelieve and disregard God and his word, the scoffers. Then they denigrate and dishonor God and his people because God's people are into God's word, the scoffers. <laughs> they act like God isn't even though God is. They act like God won't even though God will. And then they act like you're a fool if you believe any differently. Scoffers, mockers. Clowners, they clown you. If you go to Proverbs 122, wisdom said, they clown me. Wisdom cries in the streets. And then she says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? <laughs> she says, they, they hear about God's wisdom and they delight in their own scoffing. 
Jeremiah the prophet said, they scoffed me, they clowned me. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come true. I mean, if you're a prophet, I mean, come on, where's the, where's the fulfillment, Jeremiah? <laughs> Jeremiah 5, 12, they have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, he will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. In other words, they act like God won't, <laughs> even though God will. <laughs> Yahweh says, don't worry. They scoff at me. Malachi 2.17, they weary me. How have we wearied you? <laughs> when you say something like, where is the God of justice? And oh, we can't forget our Lord Jesus at the cross. They mocked him. They scoffed at him. Get down from the cross if you've got that power you say you have. They punched him. Prophesy, tell us who just hit you. These are the scoffers. Peter says, first of all, beware of the scoffers. That's why I call to stir up your affection for scripture because you're going to live in a neighborhood and in a world full of scoffers. Verse 3, these scoffers follow their own sinful desires. The reason why they reject God's word is because they prefer their word. The reason why they reject God's ways is because they prefer their ways. They forget Peter's reminder. They disbelieve the holy prophets. They ignore Jesus' apostles because they love their sin. They tell me Mark Twain said, don't let truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> They would say, don't let God's truth get in the way of a good time. In the words of the old pastor, Warren Wiersbe, I like what he says. When your lifestyle contradicts the word of God, you must either change your lifestyle or change the word of God. And since they're so committed to their lifestyle, they say, no, thank you. Let's just change the word of God. Scoffers. Sometimes we need to realize that this is the culture we live in. My friends and I, we got into a little trouble because everyone was tweeting and they were uh, sort of like what went viral. They made something go viral. It's a song called Try Jesus, Don't Try Me. And everyone liked it. They were like how they were laughing at it. They were sending it. They said, I understand it. It was resonating with them. And then I had a problem with it. Because this is what the song says, try Jesus, don't try me, because I throw hands. <laughs> try Jesus, <laughs> don't try me, because I fight. <laughs> you see the, what he basically is saying, you better go to Jesus, he won't do anything. <laughs> don't come to me, because I will. <laughs> he says, I know what he said about that getting slapped, but if you touch me or mine, we're going to have to scrap. Try Jesus. Don't try me. In other words, <laughs> Jesus wouldn't do nothing, but I will. Oh, he said, turn the other cheek, but that's one part of the Bible that don't sit right with me. So try Jesus. Don't try me because I fight. This is the scoffer's attitude, not to get too deep. You say, it's just a song. No, it's a song. <laughs> written by one scoffing 
Jesus doesn't seem to do anything. Jesus hasn't seemed to have said anything. And if Jesus said anything, it doesn't mean anything. And Jesus doesn't seem to see anything. And if he sees anything, he doesn't seem to fix anything. So, I'll take matters in my own hand. This is the scoffer. They come following their own agenda and their own desires, sinful desires. They ask, where is the promise? Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Though Hebrews 10, 23 says, faithful is he who promised. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, where's the promise? <laughs> where, where is he at? <laughs> In fact, where has he been? Because what they do is they take it all the way back and they start mocking Jesus who promised that I'll be back. <laughs> where is he? You can go all the way back to creation. They're going to say from the beginning, things just seem to stay the same. It's almost like they took a page out of Elijah the prophet's playbook when Elijah the prophet in 1 Kings 18 took the prophets of Baal up to Mount Carmel. And after they, they he said, hey, come on, let me hear your God. Let me, let me, let's see your God show up. And he began to mock them and he began, Elijah began to mock their God he said, where's your God? Cry out. Come on, turn up, turn up. He's a God. <laughs> Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere, Elijah said. <laughs> Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's covering his feet on the porcelain throne. <laughs> Maybe he took a trip. He could have ran to Costco. <laughs> Maybe he took a nap. All these are in 1 Kings 18. It was Elijah's way of saying, your God, I mock you for trusting in him. Well, it's like these scoffers. That's what they do to the Lord Jesus. Where's the promise? The only problem is the Lord Jesus will do what he said he'll do. It's a promise. And if you don't believe the promise... Just observe his patterns. You can trust it. Observe his patterns, five to seven. They deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the word, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, they conveniently forget the facts. <laughs> he says, oh, this isn't ignorance. This is just that you conveniently forget the facts. God is in charge. God is in tuned. And God always stays involved in his world. This is his world. He writes the script of humanity. And then he stars in his own production. <laughs> History is not God outside of it. History is God outside of it enough to write it, and then God entered it. And this is what they didn't bank on, that God always is in charge and God always stays involved. Perhaps you don't know this, but the creator of Marvel, Marvel, we love Marvel movies, Marvel comics, Stan Lee, 
Well, he recently died, but before he died, Stan Lee, in every one of his movies, wrote a part for him to appear in it. So in every movie, Stan Lee appeared in his Marvel movies. It was almost like he's saying, I created it and I show up in it. <laughs> the only problem is he always showed up in some obscure, insignificant part. It was just a little fun and games. Well, the Lord Jesus is different. He shows up and he is the star. He's the star of creation, even as he is the creator. And so verse 5 says, The heavens existed long ago, they forget this, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. He made the world and that he causes it to exist. He caused it to exist. He made the world with ease, with the word. And he sustains it according to Colossians, or Hebrews 1, 3. He sustains it by that same word, oh, the powerful word. Oh, never has my word been so powerful since Alexa and Google and Siri. <laughs> oh, I can let there be music. <laughs> Somebody's like, uh-huh, you was busted. You were using your phone. <laughs> let there be light. <laughs> let there be our words. Let there be a phone call. Oh, long before technology, God said, let there be, and there was. He causes it to exist. And then he says, and he calls them to account. He, by his word, he caused it to exist, and by his word, he calls it to account because he says, and by the word and water, the same thing he used to bring it to life, he used it to judge it when it got out of control. Verse 6. And that by means of these, the world and then, that then existed was deluged into water and perished. Of course, he's talking about Noah's flood. He's saying God released the earth, his creation. He used his word with ease to be able to bring forth the world out of its chaos. He brought order out of the chaos. And then he imposes order by bringing his own chaos, judgment. He's the one. You see it. And oh, Peter could have just kept going. Oh, you're talking about God. They didn't think that God gets involved, that God inserts himself. But God does. And he says this is his pattern. He stepped to bring order to chaos at Babel. Babel was where God threw them in chaos because they were out of order. He stepped in to bring order to that chaos in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Stepped in to bring judgment in three. Then God says, I'll step in in verse 15 of three to bring hope in the midst of me bringing judgment because I get involved. I insert myself. I insert myself to bring life. I insert myself to bring judgment. Genesis 5, how about that? And he died and he died and he died and he died. Till 24, verse 24, Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. And a little insertion where God says, whether you're talking about creation, whether you're talking about correction, or whether you're talking about salvation, I get involved. I always get involved because I'm in charge and I'm in touch. So I get involved. How about this one? We're Christians. Let's go all the way to John 1.14. He already said that men love darkness. <laughs> And that he came to his own and his own received them not. Oh, but verse 14 says, and the word who was with God became flesh and slipped into the story 
and tabernacled, unpacked his bags, moved on the block, and hung out with us. Are we just talking about the God who says they forget, they deliberately overlook that God from the beginning doesn't keep things the same. He's just faithful and consistent, but God has always interrupted your regularly scheduled program. And so Peter's saying, I want you to know, believe this. You can trust it. Jesus is coming back. Just peep his patterns. And this is good news because of the bad news. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter is not afraid of the bad news, so he can help people to appreciate the gospel, the good news. I don't know why I like movies, and it seems like whenever I step here, I talk about a lot of movies, but 2007, Evan Almighty, starring Steve Carell. Y'all know that one. It's the story of Noah. And on the story of Noah, it was like Noah, but except it was nothing like Noah. It was about Noah's ark, but no judgment was in it. They scoffed, they ignored the message, and guess what? They lived happily ever after. But as my sister Christy was reading the, the word of God today, I was reminded of Exodus 34, 7. The Lord, the Lord is a God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he will know by no means clear the guilty. In other words, the bad news is Right now, we are on schedule for another interruption, the culmination of interruptions. When the Lord Jesus comes back, Jesus is coming back. Believe it, it's his promise. Jesus is coming back. Trust it, look at God's patterns. Believe the promise, look at the pattern, and then Peter explains. <laughs> so, you know why it hasn't come yet? Jesus is patient. Don't waste it. This is the time of patience, patience. If you were to go to verse 10, you're going to hear it stated in no uncertain terms. The day of the Lord will come. But if you go back to eight and let it lead you there, but do not overlook this one fact. See, they overlooked a crucial fact. Now he's telling the, 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 the beloved, you don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. At some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, let's go. First of all, he says from Psalm 40, excuse me, 90 verse 4, that God is not on our clock. God has a different clock. He's on a different type of time. God is not lax, he's not lacking, he's not lagging, he's long-suffering. God is just so patient because God is just so merciful and he knows that if he acts now, many perish, but if he delays, people have time to repent. It's a, it's a, it's a patience based on mercy and a patience based on love. Every now and then when I'm on the plane, and this is probably you too, Especially if you don't have a desirable seat, you look at the door, hoping it closes quickly. 
Now, you know somebody wants that plane to be held up because they're running late. You know if they miss the plane, they're going to be salty. You know that if they miss the plane, they're going to miss something important. You know that they're going to have to sleep in the airport sometimes or they're going to have to sleep at a Motel 6. Well, we don't care, do we? Come on. Well, you know we're not supposed to leave for another 10 minutes. I wish they could leave right now. <laughs> in other words, based on where we are, time is taking too slow. It's ticking too slow. But the person who needs you to wait, they're saying, please, hold the door open. This is what he says. God is patient. And for us to not love the patience of God it's because we're selfish and we want God's time to be our time. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, this, this, this idea of waiting for God, waiting for the return of Christ is a Christian essential. This is what Christians throughout the ages have been waiting for. After all, it was the Lord Jesus who told them, I go to prepare a place. And if I go, I'm coming back. I've come back for you. This is what the church used to want. The church used to talk about the return of Christ. They thought it was imminent, even though some of them thought that meant it was immediate. Imminent means he could come back at any moment. Immediate says he should come back right now. The church didn't teach that it was imminent, but the church did teach that it, I mean, whether it was immediate, but it was imminent. Paul looked up and he thought in my lifetime he could come. So he would motivate people with Christ could come back. Christ could come back. Use it to comfort you. Well, this gospel is an invitation and a summons. It says, come before Jesus comes back. It's an invitation, a call for you to come, but it's also a summons, which means that it's also an authoritative imperative, come before Jesus comes back, because I'll be back will be good news for some, and it will be bad news for others. He called him the Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus is not just the one who became flesh now. Jesus is the one who became flesh and was resurrected, ascended, and he sits at the right hand. He is the Lord and the Savior. He's not just a rescuer. He is the ruler. He's called the friend of sinners in the scriptures, so he loves sins. He says, I don't just come for people who are already righteous. I come to call sinners to repentance. He, he stands in sinner's place as a substitute. This is the same heart that is slow, patient, so that sinners can repent. Well, what is this thing about him warning all to be saved? And all I'm going to do is rely on John Calvin because he probably has the most controversial perspective in that most people think this is why I don't like Calvinism because of texts like this. But I like the way Calvin, who gets a bad rap, gives us some insight on how we can approach texts like this. Calvin says this, so wonderful is his love towards mankind that he would have them all to be saved. Didn't know Calvin said that to this verse, did you? <laughs> 
and, uh, and is of his own self prepared to bestow salvation on the lost. But the order is to be noticed that God is ready to receive all to repentance so that none may perish. perish. For in these words, the way and manner of obtaining salvation is pointed out. Every one of us, therefore, who is desirous of salvation must learn to enter in by this way. Keep reading. But it may be asked, if God wishes none to perish, why is it that so many perish? Good question, Calvin. To this my answer is that no mention is here made of the hidden purposes of God according to which the reprobate are doomed to their own ruin, but only of his will is made known to us in the gospel. For God stretches forth his hand without a difference to all, but lays hold only of those to lead them to himself whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. In other words, what he's saying is the text spends less time talking about who God is not saving and it spends it's replete with who he is saving the text is not about a limit the text is about this unlimited this 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 heart that's that goes out to all a sacrifice that is sufficient for all a God who says I desire all to be saved and then there is this hidden will that he has not explained that says but there is a reason why all will not come. And almost nobody except universalists, if you know what that is, people who say everyone's going to be saved like Evan Almighty, <laughs> only they believe that. It's just the basis of why all are not saved that we dispute. This is good news. This is good news. But there's bad news if you refuse it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed the day of the Lord. I don't have time, but the day of the Lord is replete in the Bible. It is a double-edged sword. It is the day when God breaks into human history in order to either judge or to save. It is for him to come in and judge or to save I like Amos 5, 18 and 19. Just listen to it. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. It's a double-edged sword. It's why in the New Testament, Paul explains the day of the Lord this way. God considers it just to repay pay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. In other words, God is coming to pay some people back and God is coming to relieve some people. Somebody calls the cops, that's good news for the person who needs them and it's bad news for the person who's doing the dirt. The day of the Lord is also called the day of Christ. I know this is a lot, but listen. 1 Corinthians 1.18, he will sustain you, Corinthians, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is also called the Lord, the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will complete it, what? Until the day of Christ Jesus. So what are we saying as we come in for a landing? He says, Jesus is coming back. The question is, what does that mean for you? To the beloved, he says, this is gospel truth, good news. But for those who do not receive 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, let me just give you one more incentive. What it's going to be like when he comes back. It'll be a surprising day, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's just a way of saying you're not going to hear anybody guess this one. It's going to be a surprising day. It will not be a secret day. We're not waiting for anything secret. The heavens will pass away with a roar. In other words, there will be a loud noise. No one will say, what was that? Where's grandma? No, this, this is not that. It will be cataclysmic and consuming, a day of retribution and a day of renewal. Look what it says. The physical earth will be consumed. The heavenly bodies, some versions say the elements, will be burned up and dissolved. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, which means that the physical heaven and earth that we can behold right now is going to go through a extreme makeover. And this is it. When God comes back and he will burn up the old because it's called the fall. The fall has affected everything. Romans 8 says it, that we groan and the creation groans because it's under the old, but the heavens will, will be rolled back like a scroll. <laughs> The trunk shall descend and the Lord shall descend. Even then it'll be well with our souls when he comes back. Oh, I know. All that men put their hope in and all that men have erected to their own glory will burn up. It will be an exposing day. He says, and then the deeds. He says, the works and that which is done on the earth will be laid bare. You'll see wheat and you'll see chaff. You'll know what was the wheat and what was the chaff. You'll know what was of him, to him, and through him because everything else will burn up. There's a saying, only what you do for Christ will last. I used to think it was a verse. It's not a Bible verse, but it's a Bible truth. The only thing that will remain will be that which is of him, to him, and through him. And so here's the conclusion. The role of the coming day of the Lord is what you say like we say to crying babies. You say, mommy's coming back, mommy's coming back, and it's to stop their tears. But those same words, I'll be back, is also to curb criminality. In other words, you leave the light on when you go away from vacation to make people think they're not far, they might, they might be just coming back. So it can both comfort you, but it can also curb your criminality. And then it's to assure you that glory's coming. Jesus is coming to make right and to renew. I hate when I'm at a restaurant and they mess stuff up. Then the manager comes and says, tell me what happened. You tell them this was a disaster. They say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, you know we're going to do better next time. Wait, you came over here to say I'm sorry and not to make it right? <laughs> the Lord Jesus is not coming back to say, sorry it was so rough. Let's let bygones be bygones. He's coming back to renew. Jesus is coming back. And I close. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. This is that firm foundation. 
So let three, one through 10, stir you up by way of reminder, Jesus is coming back. You can believe it. This is promise. You can trust it. Just look at his patterns and don't waste it. This is the time to make much of this time of patience. Behold, I make all things new on that day. Let us say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for our brother Peter and the apostle who gave us these rich words. And we pray that Southeastern, in the college at Southeastern, Southeastern Baptist Theological, will bow before the king and then eagerly await his appearing. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.